0: Thanks for listening. This is Momentum, the entrepreneurship podcast for photographers. I'm your host, Nate Grahek, portrait photographer and entrepreneur. Join me each week as I interview the most successful and inspiring photographers in our industry. We bring you innovative and proven business strategies you can use to shift the momentum in your own photography business, giving you the freedom to do more of what you love in business and in life. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited. I've got one of my um, favorite educators in the space. I stalk Kirk's stuff all the time. He's got such an amazing brand and such amazing tools. And what blows me away is not only does Kirk have great um, technical tools, but the education he puts out. You guys all know how I my background's in education. I'm a sucker for a good teacher. So I had to get Kirk on the call. Here's some so check out this bio. He's the founder and CEO of Maston Labs, shot for the New York Times, LA Times, uh, featured in the National Geographic Adventure and Time Magazine, and has been, uh, or was working as a wedding photographer close to 16 years. Kirk, dude, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Oh, Thank you for having me. You bet. I'm, I'm, it's going to be good. I love it.
0: I, we, we could talk about so many things, but to, today's show, um, we're going to have some tactical tips at the end. But I want to spend some time to really, what, what I love is Kirk's has this concept. He, in the pre-call, he talked about how we can treat our businesses like a bonsai tree. And a lot of times, we, to, to get the real thing there, we've got to cut away all of the excess. And so today's show is about finding the, the excess in your business that we can trim and really simplify. I butchered that explanation. You're going to do it better. but Kirk, thank you so much for coming. And before we jump into the need to simplify in your journey in simplifying your business, um, just give me a quick two seconds on your love of photography, how you became a photographer and then how it evolved into Mastin and what Mastin does.
1: Oh my God. Two seconds, two minutes. (laughs) Um, so I, uh, I grew up reading my, Grandparents National Geographic magazines when I would see them in India um and that really like kind of turned me on to the idea of seeing the world you know with a camera but that was when I was like six. I spent most of my my young adult life doing uh environmental studies. I was training to become a uh god I don't know what some kind of environmental policy person uh but when I graduated from college uh I really wanted to photograph where I would be traveling. I want to take a little time to travel. So I got a camera for graduation. I photographed a little bit, never took any lessons, went to South Africa for a master's degree in economic development. So I'm still not on to actually like a photography career at this point. (laughs) Um, I met a girl there that was a photographer, uh, and we, we dated and through her, I kind of got really turned on to photography. Um, I was like 23 maybe at the time. And I came back like just excited and super depressed that I hadn't discovered photography until I was really old, Mm -hmm. which is really funny in hindsight. Yep. So I kind of just faked it till I made it. I, uh, I audited some courses at at Northern Arizona university and worked as a caterer. And on my free time, I went to Barnes and Noble, And I read every photography book that they had and I waited for books to come in. So that's all I did. Um, and I put together some of my own photo stories, pitched them to a local paper, told them that I had a degree when I didn't, uh, got an internship and then kind of just faked my way through, uh, photojournalism for like six years. Mm -hmm. And, through that whole time, you know, I got I got to accomplish my dream of kind of living through other people's lives, uh, you know, vicariously, and I felt like it was kind of like cheating at life because normally you get one story, you know, your own story, but as in photojournalism, you get to dip into other people's lives at a peak moment and learn something and kind of experience their life. Yeah. So it was a it was a good life. Um, the bottom fell out of photojournalism in about two thousand and two. Um, everything really started to change. Uh, it kind of happened with the transition to digital. So yeah. I started in the newsroom shooting film
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I was there during those years when it switched digital and yep. because there were so many people that could now work for these different outlets and citizen journalism was increasing, the day mm-hmm. rates came down to nothing. I mean, yeah. you were you were working two or three days for like 250 bucks for the New York Times. So that doesn't work. <sighs> no. So I got into uh, wedding photography. I thought it'd be a temporary thing. At the time, I didn't really respect or like wedding photography at all. I thought it was the cheesiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went into it going, you know, I'm just going to experience this for myself, see how it is. And I brought a lot of my photojournalism and film background into wedding photography. And and I, I just was like, I'm going to make this something I enjoy. Yeah. So that that trend like
0: happened kind of at the same time. I don't know if there's other people making the same transition, but at the same time that style of wedding photography became the new standard, right? Slowly, but surely.
1: Yeah. 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 It, 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 so when I first started wedding photography, true photojournalism was kind of like the hot thing. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people were shooting in all in black and white. Like there were a lot of people like me coming from, newspapers, like trying to survive. Mm-hmm. I think that had a big impact. Yep. But then at the same time, uh, I was, you know, really still in love with film. I was really trying to embrace digital, but it didn't really speak to me on a soul level. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to make that all kind of work. And at that time I started discovering people like Jonathan Canlis and Jose Villa. Um, when they were like nobody, I mean, they were like just a couple of years in, And I was seeing their work online and going, damn, this looks so good. Like, why can't I make my digital look like this? And, man, I don't know why, but, I mean, they didn't really advertise it, but it was all film. And I spent um, day after day, like, searching the internet, trying to to decode, like, how do they get those images? And then I was like, wow, okay, I think I understand now. You need to overexpose. You need to shoot with medium format and, like, do, uh, like, backlit. You know stuff um, and and actually touch your subjects and work with them in photojournalism like it was really about like you don't you don't mess with anything you can't even like move a cup out of the way Mm -hmm. so I kind of got through that hurdle and got really energized about bringing film into my wedding work and I made that transition and then I became kind of a a hybrid of photojournalism and uh, fine art Mm -hmm. and that was kind of my whole career Um, so there's your two second explanation that, um, that, was,
0: that was good. I said two minutes and that was fantastic. I was, what an was awesome. Two minutes, okay. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, man, there's so many fun stories there. So then as we can skip ahead to figuring your way through making a living in wedding photography, um, we can wrap up. We'll talk at the end a little bit about um, what your tools do at Mastin Labs too. But let's talk, let's jump into the role of simplicity where you realized I've got to, something's got to change. I don't know what, what stage of that 16 years as a wedding photographer, did you realize I've, I've got to
1: simplify? Okay. That's a great question. So my journey to simplification did not come very fast. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were things that kind of forced me to do it, but I feel like I, when I was first starting out, I was under the impression, and I think many people are even now that you need to have a lens, a different lens for all these different possibilities that could happen on a wedding day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and the worst thing possible would be to be in a situation where you really needed a 20 millimeter lens and you didn't have it. And that's what makes a good photographer good. And I, I, you know, and I think the industry really um, fills your head with ideas that you, you need to like have a lot of gear. You need to have little weird dongles that go on your flash and, you know, you know, like an expo disc and a, and a and a, a folding reflector that you have like hanging off of you. I have a picture of me with like a, a flipping reflector hanging off of me, like attached to my belt. Um, I had like two camera bags, like two bodies, uh, you know, all these lenses. And I felt at a certain point in my career that I had been just kind of like chasing a rabbit, you know, like, like I knew kind of deep down that that's not what made a photo good. But I, was, I kept getting this reinforcement from everything I read online, all the gear reviews, everything, the magazines that it was like, really the problem was is I didn't have a better 35 millimeter lens, which is such a joke now. Yeah, right. right. What I use now, I use the cheapest 50 millimeter lens, like the nifty 50, I use the cheapest 35 millimeter lens. Um, well, that's all I have, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally had no impact at all on the quality of my work. Yep. Fact, it made it better because if I broke either lens, I, I couldn't care less and it's happened. Mm-hmm. And those lenses like are so light because they're plastic. Um, I don't suggest people like get rid of their L lenses. You know, those are pretty nice too, but I'm just saying that doesn't really have an impact on you as an artist. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a nice to have, not a need to have at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Um. So, there was a point at which I started a a classic example is I missed a really key shot at a wedding because I was in a dark, like church kneeled down in front of the people about to kiss. Right. And I could feel like we're building up to that moment where it was like, you may kiss the bride. And I'm, I've got two big camera bags and I've I've only got a 20 millimeter lens on and I'm trying to capture the whole thing. And I'm like, well, I got to get something tight to capture them kissing. You know, that's, that's like back then I thought that's the most important photo. If you miss that then you may as well like, you know, walk out the door and never shoot again. And I was trying to find my lens and I had so much flipping gear that I couldn't find it. And then some old geezer like starts talking to me about all my gear And I look over to him and I'm like, you know, I got to like get this lens off and get this other lens on. And then like, while I'm managing all this crap, like they, they kiss and I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and then they're like, they're going to kiss again. Right? No, they like come straight at me. I don't even have all my gear put away and they're doing the recession. I'm like shoving my gear with my feet out of the way. I don't even have a lens on my camera and I'm trying to just like put a lens on and get a picture. Luckily at that time I was still using a second shooter and that second shooter got kind of a weird like side angle view of the kiss and that was enough to kind of squeak through. But I was like, what am I doing? Um, That is such a good story.
0: It just articulates so succinctly. I think that there's so many things. And when I was first getting started, there's a lot of insecurity. I think we just name it like a lot of that, um, that purchasing, like, oh my god, I've got to have that thing. Right, the next thing it yeah. comes from an insecurity of a fear of I'm not going to get the right shot, so I better take a ton of them. Um, I'm not going to get the right shot because I might not have the right lens, so I better try to get the best. Um, yeah. and I have a similar story where I saw everybody with the 70 to 200. Right, That's everybody good. had it. It's this big, huge thing that looks makes you look like a pro, and so I, I went out much. and rented one. And I just destroyed, I, did high, I was doing high school senior uh, photography at the time. And all my images I shot, luckily, I finally just put it away. Because I was so far away from my subject that I couldn't give them the normal coaching and build the normal rapport that I was used to being able to do with my nifty 50, right? And, yeah. and let alone, as soon as you get your camera dialed to a certain spot, and then you move or you change zoom with a zoom lens, I'm sorry, I'm just not that good. And I, I think trying to be, it, it, it increases the chances that you're going to miss shots, right? It gives you the opposite oh, yeah. of what you're trying to go for. Yeah, yeah. So powerful. <laughs> so the first layer of, of simplicity was realizing that it started with just your technical and your gear. You had to start simplifying. Yeah,
1: yeah and there's two two other components to that. One was, and I suggest everyone watching this do this because this terrifies me how little people know about the greats of photography that came before us. I am shocked at how people don't know who like Abaddon is or, or anybody. But at the time I was studying a lot of people like Henry Cartier-Bresson, Abaddon, Annie Leibovitz, um, all kinds of people. And one thing I noticed like as a trend was that all of these people had like a favorite camera and lens essentially or film and they worked the same way all the time. And I was like, wait a minute, like these are the people that, kind of like built like real photography for everybody yeah and they don't have like a ton of gear and they don't actually even talk about gear at all right (laughs) So, so what is what's missing here oh yeah it doesn't matter like actually they found something that works for them and they've transcended that completely to like what am i shooting why am i shooting it does it touch me in some way does it ask a question yeah so that was something i realized and then you wrote this great,
0: blog, this great blog post about it that I'm going to send people where you said you got so good at knowing your 50 and knowing what your 50 yeah. saw that you could just walk to that spot and stand there because you knew it just become a part of you. But there's no way you can yeah. get that good. Was that What's that Malcolm Gladwell book? Uh, 10, something about 10,000 hours, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. You can't have can 10,000 actually... hours
0: with every lens, but you can get yeah. there with one lens, with one focal yeah. lens that you learn.
1: Yeah every and every focal length says something Mm -hmm. it's super super important i don't i think a lot of people starting out don't realize it they think it's just a matter of like not having to walk closer or farther away um every focal length actually has a different amount of power in it or or it it shows the world in a different way the relationship between objects so like henry cartier brisson he i remember reading something where he said like I've been shooting with the 50 millimeter lens for like 40 years and I still haven't mastered it. And I felt the same way. Like once I kind of ditched everything and went to like what I was really good at, I was like, wow, there's so much that you can learn from one focal length. You you, you can really, really get a, a deep feel for what it, what it does to your work. I like the 50 because it made everything very flat and I like to shoot everything very perpendicular and flat. Like you're looking at a painting. Like, like everything is like super aligned because mm-hmm. I felt that that gave the, the image a lot of energy and a lot of power. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Some people really dig shooting with a 35 all the time or whatever lens. Yeah, yeah It doesn't yeah. matter. Yep. Yep. But, but the fact is, is that you start to understand what, what that lens does. Totally. Um, the other thing I realized beyond realizing that the greatest people didn't have a lot of gear because they, they, what made them great had nothing to do with gear. The second thing I realized is when I looked through my Lightroom catalog, and, and it was during the time when I was like, I need to trim down, what are my favorite images? Like what have five stars? And then I would, you know, pull all those out and be like, and then you can look at the meta information at the top and see like what lens you used. For me, it was like 85% was 50 millimeter lens. Right. And I was like, why am I, if all of my best work is coming from the 50, yeah. I'm actually hurting myself by having other lenses in my bag. Yeah. So that, that was the, that was the third thing. And the very last thing that happened that kind of sealed the deal was, and I started trimming down at that point. The last thing that kind of really sealed the deal was in 2009, I was doing an engagement session. I was standing on this garbage can to get a higher angle and I jumped off the garbage can and landed a little bit weird on my heels. And I broke a disc in my back, and I instantly was paralyzed. Oh my god! Um, and and my couple had to, my couple had to like carry me to my car. I could still move my foot. I was able to like. It was probably a bad idea, but I drove home. Um, when I was still married at the time, I, I honked. My my wife came out, and then she went with me to the hospital. And firemen had to carry me out of the car and give me a spinal injection to kind of knock me out. Anyway. I was unable to really work for months. Um, luckily it was like before wedding season kind of picked up again. So I was trying to rehabilitate, but during that time I was like, I can't, I can't carry much. I could barely like lift a camera or walk. So I've simplified down to one camera body, a fanny pack that was on, I, I should post a picture, but someday, but a spider holster threaded through a fanny pack. So not nothing on my, I couldn't bear any weight on my shoulders at all. So like, I had two cameras and holsters, a fanny pack, and then whatever could fit in there was all I could do. So I had a 50 millimeter lens a 35 millimeter lens. So one of those would be on one of the cameras. I had a contact 645 with its own 80, which was on another hip. And then I had a flash, uh, 10 rolls of film, a power bar, a five hour energy, the timeline, two batteries, two memory cards and some other crap, you know, like needle and thread or whatever. And that's, what I used for like probably the best part of my career. Mm -hmm. So during that period when I could barely carry anything, it was when I made my best, most consistent work bar none, like my business like quadrupled. Yeah. Um, from, from simplifying my, my style was very distinct because yep. of the limitations that I had.
0: Right, and it so. attracts the right people who want just that style. Like so often, yeah. ta- this is a perfect transition into this next layer of simplifying, is simplifying what you show, both in your marketing and to your clients, right? Yeah. When, you, when you, oftentimes one of the mistakes, I mean, again I think it happens out of fear, is I see a lot of new photographers just filling their portfolio With everything, just in case, right? I'm like, like you're throwing a bunch of lines in the ocean in in case somebody bites on anything. But what happens when somebody, like, when they hire you because of this one image you caught on a fluke, and it's on your portfolio, and that's the one they loved, but then six months later, you shoot their wedding, and you don't have that lens, or that was a fluke, and you don't really like shooting that way, right? So let's talk about how you, your approach to simplifying
1: what you show. Okay. So, so the biggest thing to, to know first right off the bat is that you will attract people based on your work to shoot the same work. So like you, you will, whatever you show is what you will shoot. So if you show if you show everything, you're going to shoot a little bit of everything. If you show people back in the day like the bridal party jumping in the air and doing air guitar. And as much as you hated that shot, you felt like you had to do it because everybody else was doing it. And if you left it out, you were not a wedding photographer. You're going to be hired to shoot that same stupid shot over and over and over and over again. (laughs) You are. Um, So true. And and you're like killing yourself, like doing that. Like you're not, you're not getting closer to the mountain you need to climb. Mm -hmm. So, that's I mean that is like the most important thing to know first, right off the bat, but the second is the way I know if someone is a amateur or a pro, and you might get a lot of hate mail for this, but is by the number of things they shoot so mm-hmm. the the amateur will be like, I shoot cars and I shoot food and I shoot babies and I shoot weddings, and I shoot this, and I shoot yeah, that totally with the yeah. with the idea that if I don't show that, I might miss out on a job, yep. But if I go to a doctor, well, let's use a back surgeon, for example, I'm not going to go to a generalist. I'm not going to go to like my local general practitioner and be like, oh, you're really good at like flus and scrapes on your legs and maybe you can do back surgery. I don't know. I'm going to go to the person who can, who's only done that. They don't have a single other thing that they've done. And it's the same with photography. Um, you know, if you, if you really want to pursue wedding photography, like and be known for it. You gotta get everything else off your website. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's been a a huge surprise to me how um how important that is. I think that a lot of times we know that intuitively, but at the same time our industry's really changed, forcing the same way because of the macroeconomics of of uh, um newspapers, like that moved you into weddings, right? Well, I think for a lot of people, they feel pressure that because they're not having success or they used to pay the bills just with weddings. Now they also have to do other niches um, just to make ends meet. I I totally empathize with the changes and how quickly all of that's happening. But there's, I think we've all known that you've got to have a separate brand even if you do. So number one, yes. strive to do just one. But let's say, okay, fine, you do. I get it. Have a separate brand. Because if you're a yeah. bride, all you care about is weddings. If you're a high school senior, yeah. I don't care that you shoot weddings. And it, it yeah. gets even more important when it's like pets and boudoir, like that can't be next to any other one of your brands. And it, in the past, yes. it was expensive to buy a website for every one of those brands. And so one of the coolest kind of afterthought with sticky folios is we're letting people you get unlimited. You can use unlimited domains with sticky yeah. folios. So they're converting their like bulky sites with everything and they're making one dedicated site. Just a simple, clean, just one gallery, click here to yeah. learn more um, for each one of their different brands. It's and it's amazingly powerful. Um I agree.
1: Okay. Yeah and, and and the landing pages that you guys have. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, where again it's about being very specific. Mm-hmm. Like that's so important to like line up directly with that client. Um, There's
0: so so true and like and because we're so easily distracted. Like squirrel, like the up movie that was up, right? Yeah. Um, I've got one more anecdote to share that I love. So on one hand, we're making the point you've got to simplify because if if, if you want to be an expert, if you want to be seen as a specialist, you can't show everything, right? Yes. One of my favorite secrets to share is Krista Miola. She's one of the best-known boudoir photographers in New York City. She does a ton of family portraits every year, but she doesn't oh have God. a website that talks about her family portraits. So there's this other flip side about how trust works in the human brain. And you mentioned it earlier how we um we're all bombarded like we just want ref- we, we want a referral from somebody. Oh that's you t- you said this in the pre-call. We will talk about this in the third the third simplified yeah. But it's when somebody trusts you as a photographer and they have a photography need, they're going to come back to you. They're going to come back to you and ask yeah. you to shoot everything else in the world. Like if you have somebody that uh, fix it person that come, can come fix your sink, you're like, ah, oh, do, and then the, the heater breaks, you're like, oh, do I have to go find and surf the internet for some heater dude? Or can, hey, can you just fix this too? Because I trust you. Yeah. That's how yeah. people
1: work, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to start over from scratch every time. It's
0: so hard. The more yeah. bombarded we get with decisions and information is everywhere yeah. at a click away, it's almost too much. Like it's made it harder to make these decisions and it makes us rely and go to word of mouth yeah. and to referrals and the people we already trust even more. Yep. Okay. So yeah. say one more point, I think, cause it should be said about now you've got a customer and it's yeah. time for the reveal how did you make the decision what were you originally showing your cu- your customers for ordering and now what, what did you end up showing them towards the end of your career
1: for for uh like when i'm selling prints or albums um that's really important too i mean like the entire process you only want to show your best work yeah uh, no one wants more than 500 photos i mean people want way less actually yeah. i mean you're diluting you're diluting the entire batch um but in, in uh, selling photos my so my trick was I used insta proofs at that time mm-hmm. my trick with it was you want to lead with your five best images they don't have to be in sequence but for every section so that people will go into that section and and buy so it could be like it could be getting ready um, first look wedding uh, toasts and dancing, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you want to really think about like, what are your five best images that kind of lead them into the gallery? Only post your best work. You don't need to post everything. You should never post like duplicates of something, like a slightly slight variation. You just need to decide because you're diluting the power of that photo if you have a similar next to it. You you just don't need that. You need to you need to like man up or woman up and just be like, that is the photo. That's yeah. part of your job as a photographer is that you are the decision maker that way for your client and that's a service you provide them. Um, so hard.
0: That we, was so hard to do when I was first getting started. I just couldn't decide. I was like, oh, what if they like this yeah. one better? I didn't realize it at the time, but that it's my job because if I didn't decide, they wouldn't buy either one of them. They'd both They wouldn't buy
1: like either one. one. Exactly. It's the paradox of choice. If you, if you give somebody too many choices, the best decision is to make no choice. That is a scientific fact mm-hmm. that it's just how it works. Yep. So in a gallery, if you give someone like five similar images and they're hemming and hawing over it, like you probably were when you couldn't decide, you're going to sell zero of them. So that's really important. The other thing too, that that I had a lot of success with as a wedding photographer is that I made a lot of time to shoot the guests. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like guest portraits, um, that was a really good way to sell. I mean, like, you're getting people who are already dressed up, looking their best. It doesn't look like they're in a wedding. You can make it not look like they're in a wedding. They're just like looking really beautiful, right? They got their whole family together. You find a really nice patch of light outside or like a, a nice blank wall or whatever. You're you're not only shooting, you're not only there shooting a wedding. You're shooting like corporate headshots, uh, Christmas, card Christmas cards, covers. Totally. Yeah. everything. I think, I think I made as much money on the guest portraits as I did on the album and everything else combined. Um, and that was just a little more time to do, but not much like, you know, cocktail hour, you're just kind of spinning your wheels anyway. Uh, this is a good time to get guest portraits. You sell the crap out of them, make a couple thousand dollars. I mean, I think I I made a minimum of two grand a wedding just on guest portraits for an hour of work. And then those people, those people are going to hire you to do their weddings or whatever, because you've already created the best photo they've ever had of themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's all your marketing right there. I love it. You're like actually getting paid to market.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) smart. And just focusing on, and when you can start thinking the long term and and thinking beyond just the stress of the day, which you wouldn't be able to, again, if we go back to the first one, if you're juggling a thousand pieces of gear and you're running around, you're trying to just get that one shot. You no way it's all the yeah. other opportunities
1: that are right no. in front of you. Gu- Guest portrait for me was contacts F2, you know, like um, I would get as close as I could focus and then look at the catch light until the catch light was sharp. Take a picture, one shot, next person. And those like, they just, I mean, it's the contacts. It's going to look beautiful. You can shoot like a, a rock on the ground and it's going to look like it should be in Vogue. So <laughs> it, it's like cheating. So you, you just, you know, I would bring a couple of roles just for guest portraits. I knew that those roles would make me a couple thousand dollars. They would, And the other thing too is they make for really interesting blog content because no one really does that. Um, for me, I always had the philosophy of the best details at a wedding are your friends and family, mm-hmm. not like a little table arrangement or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, maybe the florist or somebody wants that and maybe the bride wants that or the groom for their album, like one or two pictures. But come on, that stuff is like, blah. a picture of someone that you may not ever see again because they die or they move away. Mm-hmm. That has a lot of value. It does. So.
0: so powerful. We're squeezing in all these awesome tips, man. All right, let's wrap it up yeah. with one of my favorite things to talk about. I can't wait to hear your take on this. Is sure. and, and it's a it's kind of a twist on simplifying um, at, its, at its most, at the essence, right, of of just getting rid of the noise and talking to people yeah. in person. And specifically, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. talking to other small businesses in your city face-to-face, yeah. buying them a beer. You made a goal, it sounded like once a week. What was your goal?
1: So, so my secret weapon towards the end of my career is this invention that I made called the People Net. So the way the Net works is you leave your computer and there are other things walking around called humans and some of them are in the same industry as you and you actually have this really cool ability to actually talk with them mm-hmm. and even share a beverage with them. It's crazy. The people net was like my best invention ever. You know, Al Gore has the, the internet. I made the people net. And uh, basically the way the people net works is uh, you find other people in your industry outside. of So you meet them at a wedding, right? Like, yeah. you know, wedding planner or whatever. But it's all stressful and crazy, and you barely have time to even say hi. And then they basically just want photos from you, and they don't really even give a crap about who you are because they're super busy too. Yeah. So what you do is is all that downtime you have, you should be finding someone every week, in any part of the wedding industry, to go have a beer with or a coffee with, and talk with them. Mm -hmm. Um, What were some of the way
0: you would get them? You would get that first meeting. I think that's a good tactic. to to share? Like what some, I think for people getting started, they get nervous. How do I, what do I say in that first email?
1: Oh, it's so easy. So the, 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 the trick, the trick with making friends, maybe the Dale Carnegie came up with this. I don't know, but yeah, is you let them talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. That's it. You don't know. You almost don't even have to do anything. So I, I would contact a florist or whoever and say, Hey, I really like your work. It's really cool. Um, I'm in the same industry. I'd love to like, can I buy you a coffee and learn more about your business? That's it. That yep. is it. That's it. It's, it should be 0% about you. Just like, I'd like to learn more. And, and in that conversation, you know, everyone is in the same boat. We're all trying to build our business. There's another person who wants to meet you in the industry. You don't know if they're high up in the industry or not or whatever, but they want to meet you and, and be your ally of course you're going to meet them. And it's an opportunity for people in the wedding industry who normally work very solo. Like right, right. we're all very reclusive. We, we desire like hanging out with people that understand what we do. Totally. And so I, I never had trouble meeting people. Some of these people turned into really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you may, you may end up like proposing like, Hey, I will shoot pictures of your flowers for your website. If you keep this like wedding book in your business you know to show people whatever it's the simplest thing in the world and it's so overlooked because it's not it's not sexy it's not like a hot new marketing thing right um which is great because it means it's wide open I think I was like one of the I think I was the only person in Seattle doing this
0: yeah it's so simple but it, it takes time right it's a reminder that you have to work on your business instead of in your business it's so like yeah you work on a wedding um weird my Okay, there it goes. I tricked my lens. Um, uh, you get distracted doing the the thing that like you've got to get done this week that's going to pay you this week. Yeah, and yeah. We forget that the uh, one relationship, one friend, one re- concept refer- that's worth it's un- it's just, it's yeah. priceless for the value we oh, can send yeah. to your business, right?
1: Oh yeah, there there was a photographer that I knew. Um, I shot in Carmel uh, down at Clint Eastwood's, uh, he has like a ranch down there on the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so I shot down there and, um, the people that I worked with down there were like, wow, we haven't, we haven't seen any other photographer except, I don't know, whoever the person was that shoots there, like in a long time, like, how did you get this? And I said, oh, I kind of told the story and they said, Oh yeah, the guy that's here, he is like booked. He is here every single weekend of the year. And I was like, Oh, cool! I'd like to see his work. Does he have a website or anything? And they're like, No, he doesn't have a website. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have a website. I, I want, I want people listening to this really think about this for a second. Yeah. How important is that one human connection to this guy? Mm-hmm. That's like, that's like a two hundred thousand dollar connection. Right. Exactly. Or, or maybe even more because he's not spending any time advertising.
0: Yeah. I think that I talked about this on a, I forget what webinar it was, but I want to talk about it again. And I think that, cause I want to get this out there more that we can talk about our own insecurities and how that holds us back and where we spend our time because of it. Right. It's mm-hmm. so much, you and I love geeking out about Facebook ads, but yeah. for a lot of photographers, it's a lot of work, I though. have so many things. F- First, you should be doing all of these other things way before you start dabbling in Facebook or other things. But yeah. it's so much safer. We don't have to come face to face with rejection when we are heads down tweaking our website for the twentieth time. Oh, time. Yeah. Or, oh yeah, or yeah, or a reading your reviews. Right, like yeah, Facebook will take all of your money and not give you anything in return. But at least. It's like, it's so distant, right? We don't have to come face to face with that rejection. And the reality is that if you are getting any rejection, the sooner you get it, the better so that you can understand what, what's not clicking. Right. And you're only going to get that feedback face to face. And 99% of the time when you're actually making a human connection, people don't reject that. Right.
1: No, no, it's, it stands out. It's so rare and it's so, it's so easy and so good. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it lasts. I mean, you don't yeah. have to keep pumping money into it. So um, cool. Yeah.
0: All right. So, um, so I, man, dude, this is fun. I could keep going on and on. Um, let's see, let's wrap up. I, I've got, if you guys want to read more from Kirk, you've been doing more and more education. Like I was saying earlier, that's just really impressive. I'm going to add links to the, you've got a great blog post that tells more of the story about tricks and how you got around, um, yeah only using a certain type of lenses um you've got yeah. a good story people to check out there and then there's also a free ebook where they can learn more about about maston labs as well um, yeah about um,
1: about shooting film and digital together. exactly so
0: you call yeah. hybrid that's an, a, a dip like when i think hybrid and i think other people do they think video and film i'm sorry video yeah. and images you, yeah. you need something different for you what does that mean
1: um, yeah, so, so hybrid, I don't, do people still do hybrid like film and yeah, it was like kind of an experiment it was. Yeah, they did that at the newspapers too. And it didn't really pan out very well, but yep. hybrid was the only way that I could coin the term because it, it's a hybrid of, of taking the best of what you get from film, yep. which is consistency and a very kind of organic look and a lot of, uh, kind of three dimension dimensional depth to it. Yep. yep. Um and marrying that with the ease and speed of digital and being able to shoot in really bad light. And, and, and so, and then Masson Labs actually was born out of me just trying to get the two to match up. Yeah. Basically, Yeah, you know, so that was just for myself. You're not
0: going to give up, you're not going to give up your, your own film cameras because you're tried no. and true. You knew that like, there's so many people that just never have even experienced it. That's fine. But you weren't going to give it up. But then it, it created this problem that you had two things that looked different, right? You started taking yeah. on a little. And so you, there was no way to make them look the same. So you created a no. solution, right? Yourself. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started from scratch. There was nothing on the market. There still is nothing on the market except what we make. Um, I bought a, a Fuji Frontier scanner from a lab that was shutting down. And uh, I bought that originally to scan my own film so that I could afford to shoot film at weddings because that's what made me happy. And by owning this machine and using it every day, I started understanding how it worked and how it processed color. And I reverse engineered that into Lightroom. Um, And I started giving away those formulas to my friends just for free because they were like, oh, that's really cool. How'd you do that? And then uh, at a certain point, I was hanging out with Jonathan Canlis in Hawaii. It was like midnight and we're outside on the rocks. And he's like, Hey dude, you know, like I don't even shoot digital, but I've heard about what you're making. And he's like, have you ever thought about, you know, trying to sell that? And I said, ah, there's no way people are going to want this. Like it doesn't do any like kind of cool, like yellow sky or texture, or what, you know, whatever, like people are not going to want this. It's too clean. Yep. And he's like, Just, just give it a shot. So I put up a really crappy website where it just said, can you, you know, it showed the same photo, digital film, like a grid. And I was like, can you tell which is which to get the answer, enter your email like a little test. I built an email list of 5,000 people and launched and it just like went nuts. And then I had the ability to hire someone to build an actual website. You know, the rest is history. But
0: Yeah, man. Congratulations. Yeah. It's such a cool, Thanks. it's such an awesome niche. And it's such a good story to tell. Like if you look at all of the things that are available to photographers nowadays, it's just, it's just noise also. Like what, now you have picked yeah. such an awesome, authentic, niche that you're not trying to do everything you're trying to to help photographers create this very simple meaningful style and even if you don't shoot um film still or you never have it doesn't really matter yeah like using these these um plugins can help you stand out amongst a a sea of noise in 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 the industry as well
1: yeah. Yeah, they're, they're 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 like they're like guardrails that, that that keep your style really timeless and consistent. So that whatever you're making now, you're not going to look back and be like, "Oh, why did I make the sky yellow, you know, or whatever?" That happened to me. Me too. Um, me too. You're not going to have that trouble. So you're yeah. not going to have the you're not going to be scraping grandma's tap shoes off of your um, photos. No, I use that a ton. I thought that was the coolest look in the world and then all of a sudden it's not on trend. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Wow.
0: Um, what other, can you share anything else that you're working on in the education space? Do you want to give a teaser of, um, coming up this year, or do you want to keep it a secret?
1: <laughs> um, your choice. Man, we, we have a lot of stuff planned. We, uh, so I'm going to be speaking at, uh, the hybrid collective, uh, conference in, it's not in Austin. It's in, where is it? Nikki? Is in San Antonio. So it's in San Antonio this year. Um, and then I'm going to be speaking at way up North in Cologne, Germany. Yep. Um, and then we're also going to be putting on a secret, possibly a a cool secret event, that I can't really talk about um, this coming year.
0: As soon as we know, we'll add it to our (laughs) Facebook and to our blog post here. So if people are watching this a later date, uh, there'll be good information there as well. Kirkman, yeah. thank you. Every time I chat, I learn something new myself. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us uh, and sharing oh, yeah. those. It's really, really cool. Hope it's helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah I have cool. one piece of advice for people. Yep. Just a real quick, like a quick win for everyone listening. Yep. Um, take the dates off of your blog. Yes, I love that one. That's the simplest thing you can do right now that will change your business. The reason I say this is that the moment you take the dates off of your blog, you can only you can then have the freedom to only post your best work and anyone who comes to your blog, it's going to appear as though you post all the time. They have no idea Yep. and it's going to be amazing front to back. If yep. you have dates on there and you miss and then you're under that pressure of like constantly updating and if you don't, then someone's going to be like, oh, they haven't put anything up for three months. They must really suck or they're, you know, they don't have any work. So that that's my advice: is take the dates off your blog. Do that today. That'll that'll so free. like it's so
0: free. Again, it's like it just flips it. You don't have to feel this pressure to just make more noise, right? No. Just focus on your very very best posts once in a while. Yes. If it's a post that gets all these customers, like, or all this traffic and all, why, why try why to? Why bury it? it? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <sighs>
0: So good, man. Well, we'll be in touch. I've got some cool things coming this year that I want you to know about. um, But thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Have a good one.